so um, was there something that prompted the theme for tonight? Was there something that you, uh, yeah, was there something that hit you that made you want to go on that topic? Absolutely. Um, so Matt and I are both reading different books by Richard Rohr right now. Mm -hmm. um, oh, cool. He's reading Falling Upward and I'm reading Everything Belongs. So there's a section in Everything Belongs about what he calls the beginner's mind. And I'll read a few passages. The older we get, the more we've been betrayed and hurt and disappointed, the more barriers we put up to beginner's mind. We must never presume that we see. We must always be ready to see anew. But it's so hard to go back, to be vulnerable, to say to your soul, I don't know anything. And he goes on. Spirituality is about seeing. It's not about earning or achieving. It's about relationship rather than results or requirements. Once you see, the rest follows. You don't need to push the river because you are in it. The life is lived within us, and we learn how to say yes to that life. And then what really stuck with me... Oh shit, did it freeze? Hey there. Eh. Welcome back. That's bullshit. Where did you lose me? Um, you said, and what really stuck with me, and we thought you were looking at the page for a while, little while. It was frozen we perfectly. You were, we thought you were like reading it for a good jumping off point, and then we were like, Joel's really reading. <laughs> yeah, I was like, shit, maybe he's just looking through the chapter or something. Because <laughs> you weren't like pixelated. It wasn't like mid-movement. It was like you were just going like this. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's doing. But... That's what they call a freeze frame. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. What really stuck with me, <laughs> a few pages later, he says, Beginner's mind is a posture of eagerness, of spiritual hunger. The beginner's mind knows it needs something. This is a rare feeling in today's treacherously seductive culture, however, because it is so immediately satisfying, it is hard to remain spiritually hungry. We give answers too quickly, take away pain too easily, and too quickly stimulate. So that's what kind of resonated with me as, yeah, that's what always happens. You always get worked up about novelty. And you always get excited about something that is fresh and promising and humbling. But then that humbleness, at least for me, turns into like an obsession and a craving for more knowledge about that thing. And then... I'm no longer humble about it because I immerse myself in it and learn everything that I can. And then it's not as interesting anymore because it's not as new and I don't feel humble as humbled by it. Is there a boredom there for you when you're like, I figured it out. God, I, I know I get it now. It's either a boredom or if you want to go further down a certain path, this, depends on what what the path is and what the subject matter is it's like in order to get any more immersed and to learn more i would have to really make a hobby out of it rather than just an interest or i'd have to make a career out of it or i'd have to make a like you know join a club to get involved with other people's exposure to this thing whatever it is so say you're talking about spirituality if you get really interested in a spiritual concept and you're able to kind of absorb it and internalize it for yourself, it can feel really, really promising, but only in so far as you can engage with it. And if you don't allow yourself to engage with it deeper and further, 
then there will be a terminus to your interest and to your ability to engage with it. But then say you want to engage with it further. Does that mean getting involved with some sort of ideological group? And then you might feel beholden to their standards, you know, and that's, that could be a fear for a lot of people. Or you might just say, okay, I know this about spirituality. I know this about what I want for my own spiritual practice. And I'm only going to surround myself with the people who agree with me and who think that that's all that I need. But then it no longer is humbling because you give yourself a confirmation bias and you just think that you have all the answers. So it keeps you from being able to stay humble. So there are a lot of different examples that we could that we could go for here, but that's kind of where my mind goes. I, I want to hear what you two have to say about humbleness and uh, how it relates to like having a beginner's mind on things. Because like I talked about climbing last time and I won't talk about it, I promise. Um, <laughs> but where I'm at with it now is that I'm so familiar with it and I really get it quite a bit that I'm totally not humble about it. And I'm like, man, I'm crushing it. I'm just like every single thing I try is like a project that I work on and work on and work on and I figure it out. And if I can't do something harder than that, I just go, I'm just not ready for that yet. It's fine. But there's no room for, I know how to do that, but I can't. But there's something I know that I can do, but I think I can, and I think I can get it, but I just can't. That's okay. But if there's something that I think I could do, but I cannot figure it out for the life of me, it's horrible and i cannot be humble about it it just straight up pisses me off <laughs> uh, so it's like it's interesting to me that the first thing we talk about when we talk about beginner's mind is humbleness because that's not what would have come to mind for me if you ask interesting me. yeah but i had a little passage from a um a jack cornfield book but it's a rachel carson quote if, sure um, yeah jack cornfield saying that freedom from views is like a cleaning of the glass a breath of fresh air Zen master Shanryo Suzuki calls this open-mindedness beginner's mind. Listen to Rachel Carson, the great naturalist, as she evokes it, quote, a child's world is fresh and new and beautiful, full of wonder and excitement. It is our misfortune that for most of us, that clear-eyed vision, that true instinct for what is beautiful and awe-inspiring is dimmed and even lost before we reach childhood. If I had influence with the good fairy who is supposed to preside over all children, I should ask that her gift to each child in the world be a sense of wonder so indestructible that it would last throughout life. Yeah, I like that. I like that too. And, and Roar goes a lot into the child's mind. And because he's a, he's a Franciscan, his work usually does come from the perspective of Christianity. He goes on to talk about how Jesus and his parables or his examples for how we should see usually have something to do with how the child sees. Gosh, working with kids as much as I do, especially like kindergarten and first grade, gosh, I'd love to know like, like how that <laughs> thinking happens because these kids do shit I do not understand. Uh, yeah. Like I'm like, why would you ever eat this? I told you not to. Uh, but, um, but yeah, that, that's honest. I'm not, I'm not joking. That would be really cool to understand. Like I think so much about um, what it was like to um, learn new things, to go to new places and um just be full-on scared because yeah. I, I i think that's another thing I, I don't know if it's come up much in talking about beginner's mind but being like oh no 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 no! it's not paralyzing fear this is a sign that you shouldn't do it it's uh yeah you totally haven't done it before of course you're afraid and not only afraid but maybe you're doubtful 
that yeah. will work out. It's hard for it's hard to tell a child, no, 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 you're just having doubts and like you're you should be brave to do. And it's hard to kind of talk about that kind of like that uh, specific of a feeling. But mm-hmm. as an adult, you can totally look at stuff and just be like, oh yeah, I mean, like like I'm trying to learn how to cook better, and I am just like, oh my gosh, I'm totally gonna ruin what I make. I'm totally going to uh, burn it. I'm totally going to waste food. And then I won't have anything to eat. But if you actually turn that over and say, even if I do ruin all the food, so what? I will have something to eat. And even if it burns, whatever, I'll learn to put it less <laughs> hot next time. <laughs> like, um, so beginner, beginner's mind to, to, to me right off the bat has a lot to do with um, like with failure. And I just got a fortune cookie the other night. What, what did it say? It said, um, failure is the only opportunity to begin again with more intelligence. Uh-huh. And it was, yeah. um, I was like, it is the only way. It is the only way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what f- falling upward is all about. Yeah. Is it? That's cool. Yeah. It is interesting though, too, because I think like when you're a kid and you're a beginner at like everything, it's less risky to have a beginner's mind. And as you get older, it starts to come with a a much greater risk. And it's not necessarily to say that it's inherent to just being a beginner as you get older, because I totally agree. Like if you can learn to sort of reframe things like failure or just to find the kind of humbleness that works for you, because I think it's sometimes a misnomer personally, like you don't need to be like dispositionally humble necessarily like it's better mm-hmm. if you are in a lot of cases like you know it's better to not be like walking around like an asshole but like at the same time like you can go into a situation kind of cocky but you know situationally humble you know so it's like you can find the way that suits you to allow you to still be a beginner but it's sort of undeniable that as you get older and older it becomes a little bit more perilous to be a beginner because sure nobody else is at least no one else is outwardly allowing themselves to be yeah and you don't have the structure around anymore like you don't have parental figures or schools or you know different things like that kind of patting your landing when you fuck up so it takes a little bit of a conscious effort i'm finding as you get older or like sort of a mindfulness a lot even like sort of a buddhism approach you know where you sort of try to just address your expectations as opposed to you know anything about the situation Mm -hmm. but when you're a kid it's all an accident you know you just try shit and then if you like it, you try it again. If you fail, see what happens. What wicked things my eyes have seen. What hearts I can't ever ease. Damn the time that I've spent pulling on that witch dump and pity the people who I made. There's this meme going around of Kurt Vonnegut, and he's talking about how he worked on some construction site with somebody, and the construction site guy was like, Oh man, I'm a I'm a potter, I'm a painter, I'm a mason. I build desks and I do woodworking and I do this and this and this. He's like, wow, you do all of that? And he's like, yeah, I do all of it and I'm bad at all of it. And then yeah. uh, maybe you've seen it. Um, but I think there's something to be said with like um always being new at something. You know, we don't I don't think all of us should or can um undertake a new thing all the time, but it's good to remind yourself like. I'm so able to like play this little thing on the guitar that I'm comfortable with and play some chords and make it work. And I know how to sing. I know how to hear a note and match it. And then, then uh, blah, blah, blah. And then when you, I don't know, for me, take up gym climbing, I go, 
oh, wow, this is really, really hard. I'm so thankful. It makes me so thankful for having yeah. any, any other skill at all. Because yeah. when you're like failing miserably at something, you're like, oh, wow, this is a hard feeling. I'm so glad I don't. I, I'm so glad I've never felt this feeling before when you totally <laughs> have. Um, so having beginner's mind is is also it's something that can bring you back to that place of like um, of appreciation of growth and also patience with it, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I, I am I am so impatient with like sometimes I work with kids and they do stuff and I'm just like, that's ridiculous. I can't believe you just did that. Yeah. Um, and when really, if I just go, ah, it is growth, it's growth is happening in front of me. Like mm-hmm. that's a better way to look at it than to look at all their daily messings up as like <laughs> failures. Well, Let's, the two, sorry, Matt, you can go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that I think too, there's, there's a distinction between having a beginner's mind and being a beginner. That's what and, I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's this, um, this, uh, Brian, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, uh, Ed Vesters, this mountain climber. No. He's, he's really cool. There's tons of interviews and, and books and things that he's contributed to, but he was a big time mountaineer, climbed Everest a bunch, climbed Annapurna, all different things like that. And, uh, his big thing that he always talks about is like listening to the mountain. And so he says like, he has turned around famously, like I think 300 feet from the summit of Everest or a hundred feet from the summit of Everest. Oh, you told me turned around after like two years of ramp up to, to do that. And then climbing Everest effectively, he turned around at that point. Cause he was like, the conditions turned. And if I didn't turn around right then I wouldn't make it down. So he's like, there were times where like, if I had gone down and made it halfway and died, that would have been a failure. If I had gone up and come back, that would have been a success. But there's that little middle section where it's kind of just a non-success. But he's like, you have to be humble. You have to go in and listen to the mountain and remember that this is bigger than you. This can kill you. You are always on some level a novice compared to this mountain. And that's something that always kind of struck me in this regard too, is like he is by no possible metric a beginner at mountain climbing yeah. like he has climbed everything you can climb but he still goes in there with that sort of humbleness with that sort of again like dispositionally he's probably not humble not to say that he's arrogant but you know i think he probably has a fair estimation of his his skills like he knows he can he's capable but he also goes in there with that sort of a beginner's mindset where he understands like well i don't really know what the weather's going to be or i don't really know what's going to be behind this this crag or whatever like and I think there's a really cool balance to that when you can, when you can do it really well and sort of go in there with that that breath before you go on, whatever adventure you're about to go on, where you can still progress, but you you remain maybe an inch or two humble, like an inch or two below the experience you're doing. You don't feel like clouded by confidence, and you're not arrogant. Like I got this. It's like famous last words. Yeah, it really is. Because you can often counter it with like, well, like based on what? Like, were you going to punch away the clouds? <laughs> like, it's not going <laughs> to, you don't have it until you've already, it's, that's only working in the past tense, you know? So it's, I love like reading about the mountain climbers personally for that, because they have so many very poignant stories about that. And I'm just super afraid of heights, so it's just kind of fun to <laughs> live vicariously. But Well, one thing that I wanted to bring up about this topic is how it relates to self-therapy and introspection when talking about mental health. Mm. There have been a lot of instances for me when I'll read some new terminology that might apply to a way that I've felt, or I'll have some revelation 
that exposes a way in which I've allowed myself to suffer in the past. And then I put all the work into not suffering that way anymore. And I, I get that way a lot with introspection where I come to it as a beginner, that eagerness wells up in me to know myself better. But then there always seems to be this danger of stagnating too, right? Because when you say, this is how I've suffered in the past, I just won't suffer this way anymore, that can very easily become avoidance rather than growth. And there's a way in which avoidance can be growth. But true growth, I think, always requires the beginner's mind. So, And that could go along with the mountain analogy too, because if you're that guy, you don't then redefine climbing mountains as getting 300 feet from the top and turn around. Yeah. But there's that subtle difference when it comes to mental health because you always want to say, I've done the work on myself to address this thing. But if you're not still doing the work and all you've done is say to yourself, well, the weather is bad up there. <laughs> so I the weather is bad up there every time I ascend to this point, so I just will stop ascending. Then that's not really going to get you very far. Yeah. So in short, it's like what Rohr says with that quote, is that in Western culture, especially, we don't sit with our pain long enough or we too quickly try to satisfy some part of ourselves that does not want to feel the pain anymore and not to advocate being in pain, but to always try to keep in mind how enthusiastic you were when you realized what was causing the pain and how much you were able to grow once you realized it by virtue of having felt it in the first place. And that's on you as the actor in that case, like you're able to choose kind of whatever you want to do. Like to me, the beginner's mind only really says you're here to listen, you're here to learn. Yeah. Like you're not here to impose your own perspectives or your own skills or whatever. You're you're here to kind of be in this situation or be in this activity or whatever and, and learn from the people that you're around or learn from the situation itself. And then with that knowledge or with that enjoyment or lack of enjoyment or whatever, you can make your own decisions based mm -hmm. on, you know, how you want to proceed. And I, I think that's what the value is, at least to me, it's that like that kind of humbleness, like that sort of being able to listen, like you can be yeah. in any situation or any discipline or basically you can allow yourself to be as curious or as fascinated as you want for as long as you want about as many things as you want. Mm -hmm. Cause you're always going to be in the right headspace to just airdrop into something and be like, okay, I'm here. Let me see what this is all about. And you're not feeling that pressure to like it or become an expert at it necessarily, unless right. you want to. That's cool to me. I think a lot about um, singer-songwriter culture and hits and just like who runs the field. And I, when I think of um, acoustic guitar singer-songwriters, I, I put that like maybe 1900 to now. There are a couple people who are doing it from that point. And so I will sometimes think, wow, man, I've been at it for 10, 15 years now and just writing songs and I still can't figure this out. And then I have to remember, I say, wow, man, like the field that you're in is like, like popular music, like pop music is super new. So maybe the, not only are you new, but you have not been doing it that long. Um, so this again goes like, for me, it goes into um, arrogance and like not getting so overconfident <laughs> about things. 
Um, and I know like yeah. we're not trying to mix being a beginner and having a beginner's mind on stuff. But for me, if I think I'm not a beginner, uh, therefore I do not need to think like a beginner, some yeah. real obvious stuff starts slipping through. Like, like I was working <laughs> on a chord, like a chord progression, and I just was like, this sucks. I can't figure this out. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing this. And if I just kept mad at it, if I just stayed mad at it, I wouldn't have just figured it out. But if I sat there saying, no, I am not a beginner. I am, I am old at this. I've been doing it for 10 years. And I'm old I, at this. <laughs> like I totally would have just put it down and forgotten it. But if I just said, you've been doing this for a little while and there is still time to learn, then like there's actually a room, there's actually some space to um, figure something out. So again, like all the, all this conversation about beginner's mind to me, like it all arrives back at the same point, which is related to uh, be humble, but not exactly. Um, you can't say, yeah, 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 sure. I am learning. Yes, I'll be open-minded. It's like, you have to actively like do the thing that scares you <laughs> and be like, mm. like start a new song. For me, it's starting a new song completely from scratch, not working on an old one if like or not trying to improve an album but starting completely new scares me every time and i've been doing it for a while because i think joel and i've talked about this before on um friday night folk but like gosh i've started and not finished so many songs and if i have a big collection of songs that shrinks down to an album of like nine or ten songs or whatever i wrote like 15 or 20 or more songs sure. and you just like like you shouldn't be afraid of that process and that's what uh, to me like the beginner's mind thing is is that like are you afraid of the process congrats you don't have beginner's mind you don't have it yeah. <laughs> like just just yeah. so you know um but if you are like if you um are into the process and you drive with the process and you are the process then you can actually like you can actually get in the rhythm of it and uh take the curriculum and like be yeah. uh, and be scared and be uncomfortable with it and be happy about it. If you're all brave and all <laughs> strong, it's yeah. not gonna bring you to the same good place as if you were a little bit um, intimidated and you were not only intimidated but okay with that feeling. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, a lot of beginner's mind to me hits me like um, contentedness and like, no, 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 you don't know this. That's cool. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> because if you don't feel that way, it's it, it, it doesn't work. Now, does it? This, this is something that I actually wanted to bring up tonight. Um, someone asked me, I don't I don't remember how she phrased it, but she asked me something along the lines of when do you feel content or where, when do you feel fulfilled or when do you feel like you're serving a purpose or something like that? But my answer was when I have the first three lines of a new song. Mm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and the reason that that is like a humbling thing is I don't know how either of you tend to start songs, but I never start them deliberately. Mm. It's like a, a first lyric or like a lyric to what is clearly supposed to be a chorus, like will just kind of come to me. And I identify with the people who say like art is, you know, a, a living thing that moves through the universe and comes to you so that it can be birthed. Yeah. That's kind of what tends to happen with me is I'll just like get a line or a melody in my head or something and it will then need to be curated. And where you usually end up needing the beginner's mind is, again, this is personal for me, like this is how I approach it, but 
when a song just kind of comes to you, it deserves your best. You can't say to yourself, well, I've written a, a hundred plus songs. I know how to do this. It doesn't matter if this is formulaic. It like this is a good melody and I'm just going to make it into a complete song right now. You know, it's almost like that song is a new person that you're meeting who like has their own idiosyncrasies, you know, mm-hmm. and like you have to treat it like that. Like you can't just treat it necessarily how you would have treated other songs all the time yep. because like yeah. it is a new individual experience, a new individual like entity that you're supposed to bring to life. And why would you bring it to life with somebody with something else's traits? Mm. So I think keeping the beginner's mind in a situation where where you're creating, but acknowledging that the thing that you're creating is new. And the reason you're excited about it isn't because it's yet another thing that you get to put your name on. It is yet another thing that gets to exist. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. The, the feeling I get when I get the first, like you said, like the first three lines of the first stanza, or basically, if not the formula, but just like the gist of how it's going to go. Yeah, they're all different every time. And it's like, it's interesting to hear it said, because I don't think about that enough. But that feeling of like figuring that out, it's the same feeling I had when I was 14. When I started doing it, it's the same shit. And it's like, it is the same thing. Um, which is, which is funny because you think it like starts to be something different. It's like, nope, same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like the difficulty I had when I started songs is the same as well. Yeah. When I started doing songs, it's like, oh God, I cannot make this work. Sometimes you can get a little bit better at it, but it's still the same, like kind of grind. And sometimes a song will die in like the first two like lines. I'm like, I don't know how it's going to go <laughs> all at all. And and then there's sometimes where you finish like the whole thing and you can't really wrap it up with that last stanza. So like all kinds of different points where like you can struggle. Um, but if the entire time you're thinking, oh no, this is this is it. This is this is what the the job is. There is like a sort of mindfulness um, to that. I think Matt said is that like if you're mindful of what the process is, if you're mindful to um, the fact that even though you've been at it for a long time, there will always be a point when like you should have a beginner's mind about it. Like you'll be totally more contented about it and you won't um, maybe you won't judge yourself so hard. Like there's a reason why being an Olympian is like ridiculous because not only are you the top of the line at your sport, but everybody's watching. Mm. Um, and so it's like, that is the, um, the hardest place I would wager to, to access beginner's mind is when you are about to do some ridiculous gymnastics thing that nobody thinks you can do. Or not nobody thinks, but like people are blown away that you can even begin to do it. And you have every right to strut and and to be like, and to be like, I am so damn good. Watch this suckers. If you live in that perspective, yeah, you're totally going to bomb. And everyone's not going to give you an inch when you do. Yeah. If you're like totally peaceful with it the entire time and you mess up, people are like, yes, you know. But that makes me think too of, um, you know, when you're not necessarily a beginner at something, like say you're a gymnast and you got a big thrill the first time you completed a certain combination of moves. I don't know gymnastics, <laughs> but obviously you're not a beginner at that point. But I think that there's, I, I would wonder whether there is a similar feeling of having a beginner's mind about being new to being an expert. Oh, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. 
I have to imagine that there is some difficulty in not only keeping the humility, but keeping the thrill of having advanced to a next level of skill or a next level of ability. When you start getting depth at that point too, that like once your skills start to allow you to access it in whatever discipline or whatever activity, you're you're able to explore places you wouldn't have been able to as a you know a functional beginner. It, yeah. it strikes me as similar to relationships sometimes, mm-hmm. which granted historically I've kind of sucked at, but it's like, you know, when you're a true beginner, it's like it's similar to lust, you know? Everything is new, everything's exciting and flashy and like everything feels amazing all the time. And right. then eventually that ends. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the experience or the person or whatever is no longer worthwhile. It's just different. Like now you just mm-hmm. enjoy spending time together. You don't need to like pull each other into broom closets and shit all the time. And it's kind of, it changes, you know, and that's okay. Like that's a completely natural thing. I think it's just as unhealthy to try to cling to that initial lust phase as it would be to just close off and say, I am now proficient. It's like jumping right into marriage as soon as lust ends because it's like, well, let's hang it up. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> like, that's insane. That's horrible. So it's like that, oh, that so mindfulness funny. allows you to say, all right, well, now we're here. Like, what is this about? And like, kind of enjoy stuff for what it is. Like, enjoy that person for who they are and then, you know, kind of grow together. It's, you can do the same with an activity or a hobby or a, a discipline, I think. Yeah, that's actually what was coming to my mind when I was talking about songwriting and treating songs as though they're individual people. Oh, that's cool. You know, yeah, like that is an easy mistake and certainly a mistake that I'm sure I've made in relationships. I, I think there's like, we're talking about people and being okay with people and being okay with um, beginning things or being okay with the struggle or the difficulty of the process. There's also like, talk to be had about attachment where yeah. like you're talking about relationships where you say, Oh, wow. So uh, it, it turns out that I'm not calling anyone out. I'm making something up. I promise. But like, no, I'm not going to make something up about somebody. I'm going to make something. I'm going to tell something about myself. Okay. So, <laughs> so my girlfriend's going to love this. Um, so we've been like, my girlfriend and I were together for about a year and then we moved in together and she found out that what I like to do as soon as dinner is done is leave the table and don't put anything away and don't bring anything into the other room, but just leave the table and hang out. And she's like, dude, why is this? There's like so much stuff on the table now. Could you like put something somewhere? Like, and if she said, oh, damn it. He's like, I'm figuring out that he does this now. I signed this. I hitched my bike to the wrong train. And it's like, if I thought, wow, no, that's just uh, something about me that you have a problem with. And like, you know, that's your thing to deal with. And I, you know, blah, blah. if I just said, right, right. I still don't exactly know how to live with other people completely perfectly. And who does, you know, I'm able to have a more peaceful uh, reaction to it and to resolve that conflict of like putting stuff away and being more active in food prep and cleanliness and things like that. Question. Um, So yeah. As a chef, is she more about the wanting things put away and wanting you to make that effort? Or is she more about the like communion and conviviality is what happens whilst at the table? Um, Both. 
Okay. I think it's not so much like like we are super good at no phones at the table, but it's definitely like me helping clean stuff up and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, I want Brian involved <laughs> in everything because it makes my life easier. Because then it doesn't feel like I'm at work when I'm at home. I gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's always a good time. <laughs> oh, that's good. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about regarding attachment and um, beginner's mind and things like that. Because I think, like, what can cause a transition from being having a beginner's mind to being big, bold, strong? Nobody can mess with me, and I don't need to learn anything anymore. Like mm-hmm. the number one thing figuring there is what's it called? Like the operation in the math problem is attachment, mm-hmm. and so. If we all just uh, listen to each other a little bit better and, and again, drive with the process of listening, correcting, listening, correcting, listening, not correcting, but, you know, changing, being adaptable, things can be PG. Something that strikes me as interesting, too, is when I guess how much you're able to allow yourself to be a beginner in most cases seems to depend on how much that thing has to do with your identity. Mm -hmm. You know, like how much that informs your, at least your self identity. And like that can seem to make a big difference when it's, when you're like working on something where if somebody were to critique it or you were to feel inadequate in some way, it would challenge some facet of who you thought you were. That seems like it would, cause a lot of problems as opposed to if you were like going out and just like learning how to knit like you're just doing a thing you always thought was cool and you're not you don't have any illusions about like this is who i am you just really want to like Mm -hmm. learn this cool thing to do it's so much easier to remain humble to that because you don't go in thinking that you need to be an expert you go in thinking other people are going to be experts and they're maybe going to be able to help you and you can just kind of enjoy it for what it is as opposed to like if you're you know, a doctor or something, and somebody starts challenging your ability to do surgery, you're going to have a hard time being a beginner about that, I think, compared to (laughs) the other case, you know? Well, that's part of what I was thinking when I was introducing this topic. You can, like, kind of lose your bookmark a little bit Mm. if you don't see a further path where you can get more interested in the thing or where you can apply the thing more substantially. Mm. Or, you know, so there's... I think about this all the time because I, I'm in a constant state of identity crisis. I shouldn't say constant, but in a pretty frequent state of identity crisis because I have so many interests and I want to be creative in so many different ways. But as of right now, none of the ways in which I love to be creative have ever been a full-time career for me. Many of them have made me money, but none of them have been a career. So it's like, where do I direct the energy in order to make this a career? And if I direct my energy this way, is that then going to speak to my identity? Is that then going to define me as a person? Is that then going to define my goals? And why would I want it to be the the thing that define my goals when I when I have so many other goals, or when I don't want to be seen as just a this? Yeah. But you're right. Where that. There's a certain point where if you want to go deeper into an interest or into a field, into a hobby, whatever it is, where you either have to accept more humility than you're willing to, (laughs) or you have to 
kind of cast aside your worries that something's going to define you in a way that you don't want it to and determine whether the thing really means enough to you or whether it is going to keep being fulfilling enough to you that you can just kind of not care about how it looks if it defines you. I think there's a real value in even like just letting yourself have hobbies and things just for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like whether that's completely privately or just, you know, not being paid for stuff, but whatever it might be, like just giving yourself a place to like kind of a sandbox almost to like practice with this mindset, even if you're not consciously doing that. Mm -hmm. Cause it's sort of like Brian's um, gymnast example, like that must be such an insane amount of pressure to function under anyway, but then to also have to kind of force yourself to be mindful when the eyes of the world are looking at you. If you're not already there, like mentally, you, that's got to be horrible. So like, you know, it seems like a lot of people in like high pressure scenarios like that have like their jog in the morning or their their sport that they like to do or they're like they go home and they like play chess or like they, they have a thing where it's not necessarily public, it's not necessarily paid, it's just like it's another little route that they have of who they are. So that if things get a little screwy with the the main gig, it's not existentially damaging to them. It might hurt, it might suck, but it gives them like that little that millimeter of buffer that they might need. And that's valuable to me. Like I ran that um, the half marathon this fall and that was kind of the biggest crash course I've ever had in this. Like it was mm -hmm. something that I really have just always wanted to do. And I've just always thought this would be cool. And this was like a time where I was like, all right, I actually have an opportunity to like try to line this up. It was never going to be a virtuoso at it. It was never going to be pretty, <laughs> but like I've just always wanted to do it. And I thought if I like make myself do this, I'll, I will be able to do it. But I also knew like it would become a monster if I let it become who I was, which it would after a month of doing it. I would start to think, yeah, I have to be this. I'm this kind of guy. Yeah. And, you know, it would just become a living hell. And I was like, no, I just want to do this. I don't care how it goes, really. I just want to have finished it. And so I made some rules where like I trained alone. I didn't let myself get sucked into like you know, fads and shit. The more I would like read about people doing it, I didn't like go out and buy like the singlet that they were wearing because I was like, that's what you need to do it. I just ran in my usual shit. I always did it alone. I never bought a watch. <laughs> and I got, it, it got so comfortable. It became very church-like. It became like this place that I could go. It was like, things are good. I can just go yeah. out and fucking explore. Like I found all these new trails. I found all these new feelings. I had moments like Brian described were like, that's a new feeling. I'd never like to feel that again. Like, <laughs> had plenty of that, but it was all like new. It just was like the first time I've given myself, probably since I got into playing guitar, the first time I've given myself permission fully to just be in something and be completely at the mercy of it and yeah. plan as I go. And and I got this crazy spike of like imposter syndrome in the, the um, shoot at the beginning of the race. And I just looked around at all these people and I'm wearing my friggin' like leopard skin tights and like all just the shit that I had. And it never occurred to me that like this isn't what <laughs> other people have been doing the whole time. <laughs> and I was just standing in the shoot going like, oh, Jesus, I look like a jackass. Like I'm going to lose. This is going to be terrible. Yeah. Probably going to collapse. I had like a tube of Bengay taped to one arm and an inhaler taped to the other arm and like up my sleeves. It's like this is going to be a disaster, but like I'm ready. And it just kind of got so, like, scary for about 15 seconds. Like, what the hell am I getting myself into? This is terrible. Yeah. And then it just kind of, like, came back to center. It was the weirdest thing. Like, I just kind of remembered the three months of this idea existing before this scary moment. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to die. 
I'm going to do this thing. And if it sucks, I'll do it again. But it's like, I sort of like was able to pop that bubble with the thought that's like, what in God's name would have made me a professional by now? Like what would possibly have separated me from being a complete beginner? This is my first time ever standing in a shoot like this. Yeah. Why would I not feel this way? Why would I win? Like what exactly could happen to make me think that I could be at the front of the pack with these people? Like it was, it was peaceful. So mm -hmm. I don't know, a long way around to saying, I think giving myself permission to have that solitude about it, even if it was internal, was was crucial. And I've never let myself do it before. Yeah. I think you're talking about non-identification. Where, like, if you say, yeah. I, as a runner, like, Matt, <laughs> the runner, is doing yeah. a bad job at this right now. It's like, yeah, it's like, sure, if you call yourself a runner, as soon as you get into that kind of thing, it's like, oh, it could be, uh, it could be toxic, but I think, like, many things in mindfulness um, theory and in uh, Buddhist philosophy and stuff is it's very paradoxical because if you go into like for me when I'm like I've been pushing some grades recently and climbing stuff and I'm just like it's exciting but um, if I say I am killer at this and it's so great and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that I can do this and let's do it I will have my mind off the ball and it won't really work and I will like be too excited to do it to do it calmly, because you have to you have to yeah. use some of those movements so calmly. And then if you come at it like, let's see what happens, probably not going to happen either, because like there's a nice way to say let's see what happens, and then there's a nice way to say I'm going to give it my all. And if you find yeah. the center point, that's gold. But if you're too far on any side of it, it's it's not good. Like if you ran into that um, the half marathon, which by the way you did it, you completed it. Yeah, yeah, it was That's fun. Amazing. That's good. Good job. Thank uh -huh. you. Um, like if you if you went into that saying nothing could go wrong, like like <laughs> that's kind of gonna be a mess. Maybe it might be a mess. I don't yeah. know. But if you go oh, yeah. in there saying I really don't think I I don't think I can do this, like that's not cool either. So if you find yeah. the middle yeah. point or um, find the balance that could be cool like you because you can tell yourself these kind of things like when i'm about to like like i've been getting into doing lead climbing which is where mm. like instead of being top roped over a, a static anchor you are actually going up through the wall with a rope on your waist being pulled up behind you and you mm. might have to clip it through a clip and everything so if you fall you fall past your point of falling and you free fall for sure mm. and that scares the shit out of me <laughs> like so yeah. I, I i do lead climbing and every time I started, I'm like, this is so scary. Why did I, why am I here? What happened? What went wrong? So where I ended up here in this position. <laughs> um, but then I also go, but you know what? When you're on top rope, you can lead, the, you can top rope this, this kind of grade. So just do it see what happens. If you fall, you'll be safe. It's going to be scarier, but whatever. And then most recently, like I climbed, I was trying to climb a, um, a lead roof which is basically up and then immediate um, approaching a 90 degree kind of like it starts right here and it goes to over, it goes to 90 degrees at one point and then it goes to Jesus. And I, I approached the like parallel being parallel to the ground thing. And I was like, I am terrified and I don't want to do this anymore. And I came on uh -huh. yeah. and I came on <laughs> where like, um, if I said I am a climber and therefore I must do this, 
then I might have like taken a weird fall and done a big whip and like hit the wall and I could have had a bad time, but instead, and, and if I said, I don't think I should do this, then I never would have done it. But I found the nice middle point of, I'm going to try this because I think I can do it. And then I got up there and I was just like, no, dude, this is, I, I feel, so, I've never felt, this is listening. This is attention. This is listening to your body and paying attention and giving space and giving validation. I felt so sick in my stomach. I felt so hard to breathe. I was so anxious because I knew that at the point, like I clipped. And my next clip, if I didn't make it, I would have free fallen like 10 feet and, and it would have been like safe, but totally scary. And I didn't want to do yeah. it. So that, that means that next time I'll probably be able to, like, I, I know what that's like now. So I can go past it next time, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. So that's like where all the growth happens when you find the, uh, the, the balance in, in the middle there. And, and that's where I think you found uh like the room to um, to do running where you knew about the shit you could get wrapped up in and chose not to, right? Yeah. And that's that's the middle point because you knew about it, but you didn't work with it. I could, yeah, I sort of, I thought about it almost like jumping into, it's a weird image to have used to like articulate this, but I, I remember thinking about it almost like jumping into like a big mud puddle. It was just like, instead of like gingerly kind of like going across this and trying to treat this with reverence, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going in. I'm going to get filthy. I'm going to roll around in this thing for three months and just enjoy the shit out of this, whatever it is. And it's, I'm still going to be me. Cause yeah, like you mentioned, like the identity, like at the end of it, like quote unquote runner Matt would have to shake hands with quote unquote still smoke cigarettes, Matt. And stays up until 5 a.m. Like all of these things have to come back together in December. So like no matter what I do, no matter how I want to see myself as like, now I'm a marathoner. Those guys don't smoke cigarettes or stay up until five in the morning or go on tour. Like they they don't do any of those things. They wake up at four and eat avocados and like that's because they're squares. (laughs) (laughs) But I was just it was like this kind of piece where I was like. The fact that I don't want to do those things yet doesn't necessarily preclude me from enjoying this completely fully, but it does almost mercifully disqualify me from being able to say, now I'm an Olympian, now I'm going to have to worry about times, and now I'm going to have to, it's like, I will never have to do that. So that's why I like didn't buy the watch. It was like, I don't want to even think about this. This isn't why I'm yeah. doing it. I don't care. I'm not. I just want to do it. It's like the Vonnegut guy. Like, I just want to be bad at as many things that I'm interested in as possible because it's just fun to do shit. And I spent yeah. so much of my life just feeling like if I wanted to do something, I had to, like, earn my way in. Yeah. And now I'm like, yeah. who fucking cares? Sure. No one has a plan. Nobody knows what they're doing. We talked a little bit last time about woodworking. I don't remember if any of it made it into the episode. I'm not a woodworker, but it's an interest of mine. And so like, I watch a lot of like Instagram videos about woodworking and I'm fascinated by it. I don't necessarily have the tools or resources or time to get into it and then expand on the skills and treat it as a hobby. But like, it is something that I would like to, to tackle eventually. But for now, I don't. But I do follow some designers and builders and and woodworkers and stuff. And one of them was talking on a podcast recently about being diagnosed with ADHD as a kid and having to learn in his like younger adult years how to harness the creativity 
that comes with having ADHD. And one of those forms of creativity is that he thinks in three dimensions. So that's why he's a good 3D designer, mm. right? I heard him say that and I said, oh my God, I don't think in three dimensions. That's why I'm terrible at designing things. That's why like <laughs> everything that I do that takes up a certain amount of space has so much trial and error built into the process of bringing it to life. And then I thought, I don't think I'm good at big picture thinking. I task myself with too much of the process of bringing any kind of plans to life, whether that be like a creative project or or anything. This goes along a little bit with like what we were talking about on the workaholism episode and being able to delegate and stuff. And of course, you have to have people to delegate to or collaborators to work with. But And then I went down this whole thought process. And where I ended was I spend so much time being concerned with having control over how I'm seen that of course none of my projects ever come out. Like I finish songs and I finish them for me and I hear them <laughs> and maybe I'll play them live now and then, but the recordings never get done because I'm always trying to prove uh. that I'm a better DIY artist than I was the last time I was a public DIY artist. Uh. And like my audio editing skills have improved and everything and for sure that they have. But I, I think Matt and I talked about this a few weeks ago, but Someone named Karen Connolly, who lives on the South Shore, was on Owen's podcast. And they were talking about being a DIY artist and like every project you release is a documentation of your DIY skills at that time. Mm. So like it doesn't have to be like you did everything perfectly just the way that like a professional producer would do it. Part of the sort of ethos or aesthetic of being a DIY artist is the snapshot of what your skills were when you completed that DIY project. And I've always liked that way of, of looking at things, and that was a very insightful thing to hear. But I've never been able to hold myself to it. Mm. So all of this goes to say that it's another one of those things where like, I had kind of a, revela a revelation about myself, and now I'm a little bit like, into this revelation. I'm into thinking about it, but how am I going to take it further? How do I treat myself like a beginner so that like everything is new enough to me and humbling enough to me that I can allow myself to let go of the sense that I know how something is supposed to go in order to do something to my image, in order to control how people see me, mm. right? And then how can I use that art of letting go to give myself time to become an actual beginner. One of the reasons that I don't get into woodworking is because I don't have time because I'm always editing music <laughs> that I'm never going to release <laughs> if I don't learn how to release it, you know? Mm. So getting past the phase where I think I'm not a beginner <laughs> in order to get to a phase where, I am, where I'm allowed to be a beginner. Yeah. At least when talking about humility and at least when talking about like, how, how certain states of, of noviceness or novelty or experience or expertise define you as someone who participates in the thing. It is impressive that even though Joel didn't know that I moved to Holyoke, Joel has somehow found my house and read my journals. 
because that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm going through. Um, because you know, this isn't a brag, but what the heck, like I've have like 30 songs or so that could go on another album yeah. and I don't know what to do with it because I'm so mortified with the idea of being um, seen on like YouTube or TikTok or Facebook. And of course I have my own like political positions on what it's like to post on there and what those websites do and have done and probably will continue to do. But just the idea of, you know, forget all the social media hubbub, but like I played on uh, December 17th and then I can't remember the last time. So that was like totally a beginner thing that I did 15 years into playing music and at least 25 years of enjoying singing because like I was in children's choir and I love to sing and it was my favorite thing. So I've been singing for over 20 years, but not being able to play much original music for the past two years has allowed me to become a beginner again. And it's definitely like, if I, if I say, well, I better nail this and I better um, be as, as, as good as I always was and as, as fresh and whatever as I always was, I wouldn't have gone up and had a good time and made friends and blah, 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 like I did. And I went on stage of the, the workshop 13 in Ware, Massachusetts. I went in there and I was totally rusty and I was totally like a little nervous about it, but it was like still fun and it was a challenge and I was okay with the fact that it was a challenge. And it sounds to me like you're at least there, that you're okay, that it's like, you're okay with it. You're not like, damn it to hell, this is so hard. You, you are saying, well, there's definitely a struggle there. I could figure this out and it's hard to be seen. And of course it is, but like, um, if you can allow yourself to be a beginner at it, you can allow yourself to be a beginner at something else. Um, let me grab something. It's right here. The folks listening can't see it. But this is, I'm, I'm holding a cherry wood bowl that my dad made me. Oh, wow. With the lathe. Fairly nice. And my father is 60, 60 years old this year. And he didn't want to be a wood maker. Like my dad built a couple things out of wood when I was a kid, but not necessarily like fine woodworking and stuff like that and as maybe this isn't totally fine woodworking but it's totally freaking nice yeah and it's marvelous and i'm gonna have this thing forever and my dad has worked in like database management and information technology and like that kind of service for 42 years so it's like he was like just wanted to do the di- wanted to do the damn thing and, and did the damn thing and you shouldn't wait till you're 60 to do it Joel <laughs> well speaking of cherry wood I have something to show you too okay <laughs> what is that so I'm building a guitar I'm not actually no. like forming the wood but this is my strap body and I like because of my interest in woodworking and in wood grain, as a sort of design aesthetic, I basically said, okay, let me shop around for the kind of wood that I would want to see on a guitar personalized for me. And based around the aesthetics of the wood, I will then add to the design of the guitar from there and choose colors from there and choose different appointments and different graphics from there. So that's what I did. And I have another that's a Telecaster in the corner. Um, 
but yeah, so I decided that I would build two electric guitars. I don't currently have a working electric guitar. So I just figured like, you know, for the amount that I would pay for one really good name brand electric guitar, I could build two to my yeah. own specs. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. And I'm absolutely a beginner in this. I know nothing about pickups or wiring. So like that has been kind of a big thrill for me. I don't know if it's enough of a thrill where I could maintain the sense of being thrilled and like, you know, build guitars for people or whatever, but maybe, you know, I might like it that, that much. So I guess I am always trying to put myself in, in a position to be a beginner with some, something, but I do think that the bigger challenge is maintaining the thrill of both being a beginner and having the novelty and maintaining the thrill of once you are no longer a beginner, how did it feel to become more than a novice? I think on a previous podcast that we did together, I think I mentioned this before, but Colin Quinn, I think it was Colin Quinn, um, the comedian said comedian, that uh, yeah. you'll, you will know when you've made it, when you're killing it and it's boring. It's uh. <laughs> like really like funny to me. Um, <laughs> That's so kind of depressing though. <laughs> and it, You know, when you're, when you're absolutely killing and then you're just like, yeah, that's another night. Like, again, that's like, it's sort of like in the relationship house of things where like, you know, when you're together for like, like 30, 40 years, however, it's like, oh yeah. Like, you know, you're not like, um, not even romantic, but just like recognition of what is can be like a little like, huh, wow. Hmm. Mm -hmm. This, there's not this is not new and exciting so therefore it's boring no not necessarily like i don't know that's what i think about um trying to learn a new thing like that is um if you get so good at it it like might even get a little bit boring but if you really listen to how you listen to your body and how you feel about the whole process you can actually enjoy it and be there for it instead of just like being present for the situation instead of just like flying through it and having it carry you through it yeah I think too, boring, it gets static sometimes, you know, it's not necessarily that once the novelty wears off, something loses all appeal. I mean, it can, but I think at a certain point too, it can also just reach kind of a stasis where like the boat's not rocking that much anymore. You, you've established sort of a, like an equilibrium, like your needs are met. And at that point, it's kind of a question more of like, well, what if I don't want to do this anymore? Or what's below this surface or what could I do with this? Or now that I don't have to worry about all of this stuff, what if I try something else? Like, like Joel, if you never wanted to build another guitar again after this, you'd still have a guitar to play. Mm -hmm. Like now it's like, even if you're like, okay, I can put that to bed. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to write with it? Or like, what are you going to, what shows are you going to play with it? Or if you were like, this is the shit, I want to do this all the time. Like yeah. you can build another one. So it's kind of like, to me, it's dealing with those decision points with a certain amount of respect, you know, like kind of not feeling like you have to pressure yourself to necessarily even find new novelty in the way that you understood it when it was completely new. Yeah. But just kind of being okay with like, this might've just matured. Do I like that? Or do I want another hit of something and then go that way if you do. So to kind of tie this all together, 
I'm wondering if we can all respond to, do we have any New Year's resolutions? Because I think that in talking about the beginner's mind, this is a lot of the stuff that gives people confidence in, you know, making some kind of change or being enthusiastic about taking control of their life in some way. But I think that humility is necessarily a part of that. I think that identity is a part of that. So do either of you have any New Year's resolutions or things that you'd like to do differently that you're resolving to do? I'll I'll go first. Um, So like I want to do a little bit more um, intentional actions um, that are both intentional but not intentional, meaning like um, keeping attention on things like getting up, thinking of I'm going to do A and then doing A and then while doing A being like, I think I now I'll go do B and do B. And then like like actual things like that, that's kind of an adventure for me when every time I do it, um, because the fact that anything in my life gets done is always kind of amazing to me. And it's always kind of like, not, not even an accomplishment, it's kind of like a phenomenon. When like I go grocery shopping and like everything gets put away, I'm just like, I can't, how did that happen? Uh, it's kind of impressive. So, that is like more intentional continued actions because I think there's a lot like, Oh, that's one quote I, you guys said right at the beginning was um, that the world is so um, Richard Roy said is so treacherously seductive. Is that what he said? Yeah. And that's like, mm, that's a good, yeah. it's good. Um, because like you could totally like, I could, I could uh, lose myself in playing with like Fruity Loop studio I could totally get into just like going to the gym and not really thinking so hard. You know, there's calculations going on, but like, it's sort of like, I'll go do this. I'll go do this. Who knows what's going to happen? Like, I'll just have fun and I'll go home. And then just like, you know, web surfing and watching like climbing videos. That's like, I want to spend my time a little bit more deliberately is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. So I'll just give you one more. One is like deliberate action and not even, not even as much planning. But just, Brian, you should be in a more deliberate headspace right now. Like, stop with the lists. The lists never get done. There's a Conor Robert song. I keep making my to-do list and nothing gets crossed out. <laughs> and uh, stop with that, but just get into uh, intentional headspace. That's good. That's what I want to do. Um, and then two is I don't have to um, have a beer for my drink every single time I go to a place that has beer to drink. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... And I'm not even like a huge drinker, but like I found out that if like I go to a place and I can spend the money, I will. So I just like don't you don't have to do that because it's also a listen to your body thing where I wasn't listening to my body on how I felt with it, where it didn't like rock my world or bother me too badly to have a beer, which is about all I can freaking have anyway before I become useless. Um that's the resolution is to, uh, which I guess goes into a little bit more um, deliberate action and not reflexive. What's the word here? Help me out. Um, compulsive, not compulsive. Okay. Yeah. Not, not as much compulsive actions, sort of like I go to the place, the, the beer is only $4. I will have a beer. And you know what? I'll probably have another one and then I'll be cool. I'll be happy, whatever. It's like, nah, dude, like I can have like a soda and be happy or water and be happy and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And uh, I won't feel weird. Because like I also can have one beer and it feels okay, and then two beers always makes me feel weird. I'm a total lightweight. I cannot handle my shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, those are two resolutions: <laughs> deliberate action and maybe not 
never drinking again, but not drinking every time I have the chance. For Christ's sakes. It's a big learning <laughs> curve. I've been there. Yeah. No, I'm actually with you a bit on the um, deliberate action too. I've been, I don't have any like hard ones this, this year, like any sort of like, you know, actually like concrete resolutions like I have kind of in years past, but definitely softer ones in the sense that like more mindset shifts mm -hmm. and that that's a big one is like trying to be a little bit more, maybe in a slightly different way, but trying to be a lot more deliberate with kind of how I use my time. Like really just sounds bad to say, but like not wasting so much of my own time. And uh, tr I've been trying to perfect the art of um, leaving a room, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> like it sounds dumb, but it's one of those things that I'm like, I have spent so much of my yeah, <laughs> childhood and adult life being stuck, burning alive in social situations or just any situations where I'm like, oh my God, I wanted to be out of here three freaking hours ago. And I just don't know how to say it without hating myself for the rest of the night. Yeah. Or I don't know how, like some people just have that knack, you know, they're just good at that. And so I've decided this year I'm going to get that down. And I'm going to, you know, spend my time more effectively on things that I want to be doing. And even just thinking about what things I want to be doing is harder than I realized, you know, like, mm -hmm. like kind of like learned helplessness, you know, like yeah. if you like pick any moment during your day and just think like, what specific thing do I want to be doing right now? Like anything in the world, what do I actually want to be doing? Not what would be feasible for me to do next. It's harder than it seems. So I've I've sort of centered my mission for the year around trying to get some of that together and uh who knows it's been two days and i've been like maybe 50 60 percent effective at it so we'll see perfect how that goes but no, those are good it ones should be good down. yeah what do you have joel so two things that may end up being the same thing um matt you had mentioned earlier about how your training for that half marathon and your journey to become a better runner has been mm. like church. And lately I have been feeling like I need a goddamn hobby. Mm. Um, I need something that can bring me to that place. And like, it has been going for hikes in the past, but so I'll say that one of my primary goals needs to be like getting my knee to work again. I injured my knee years ago and sometimes it's fine but sometimes it's not and I realized somewhat recently how much I avoid using it out of fear of re-injuring it because I have re-injured it a few times but I've realized that part of why I'm in such danger of re-injuring it is because I've kind of allowed the, mus the muscles around where the injury was initially to partially atrophy like I need to go see an orthopedic specialist about it but it's very possible that the exercises that I end up needing to do to get my knee back into shape will involve having that activity that feels like church or feels like a good hobby for me. I also feel like I would love to have a more community-based hobby that isn't mm. just like going for hikes alone. But yeah, I think those are my two things is like make a few health adjustments and start some kind of hobby. Matt and I have been talking a lot about institutional support lately um, in some episodes that haven't come out yet, but part there's part of me that would love to have a hobby that involves a bit of institutional support, but that isn't that I don't kind of hang my reputation on. What do you I, mean by 
institutional support. Meaning like, okay, in the case of woodworking, like even if there are just like some really helpful message boards where you're a part of a community and there's sort of an established community around it. But yeah, so there's, there's a part of me that knows that I'm a little bit more of a loner and would maybe do better with the sort of transcendentalist version of what feels like church. And there's part of me that is, is definitely craving some community and, and some institutional support. And so may choose to get into a hobby where there's a bit more uh, interaction with, with others. So I don't know what it's going to be yet, but basically health and hobby are, are my two things. Yeah. And they and they do sound like the same thing. They yeah. might be. They might end up being the same. It's like, and it's, it is just trying something too. That's remember, like that's like the whole thing, is like it's not like I better pick the thing that's the sure thing. Mm-hmm. I better I better pick it and it better work. It's like not dude, like the whole thing is trying something. Like I've done, like I totally did like Unitarian Church for a minute, and it turns out I just don't get that much into it. It's not for me really. I don't know. And mm-hmm. then, like, I did Cub Scouts when I was a kid. I was like, this is really hard, but I was sort of obligated to do it. And then Boy Scouts, I had the option, and I said, I'm out. I don't like this. It's boring. It's like, it, it's hard socially. Not to say that if you try it, there will be a point where it fails you. But I'm saying, like, um, like there are people who, you know, try therapists for years, and then they find one and stay with them for decades. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. So you really just, like, keep auditing and keep trying to figure out which one will work. Well, anything that you're working on or um, want people to be aware of? Oh, I don't know. Um, I am still working on new music. I do want to come out with new music soon. I have all my old stuff on briandickens.bandcamp.com. I think mm-hmm. my website is probably going to lapse soon because it's like a lot of money and I never have, I haven't used it in a year. Um, so like, whatever. I paid for it last year. Don't want to pay for it for another year. <laughs> well, and people can follow you on Instagram for cool rock climbing videos I, I, or bouldering I videos. Occasional rock climbing video, and then if nice. and then if you look up, um, I think either it's um, and the plot Dickens or the plot Dickens on TikTok. I post TikTok videos there, so that's that's what I do. It is and the plot Dickens. That's an awesome handle. I don't know what it's called in that that world but that's that's a great name or url it was my it was my album name from 2016 nice i stuck with it one more thing i i keep thinking um about this quote um but these guys climbed this wall called the dawn wall on el capitan and yosemite was kevin jorgensen and tommy caldwell and kevin jorgensen said that uh, people shouldn't call what we're doing conquering they should call it what it is which is realizing dreams and i think because like instead of like being like if you have a beginner's mind on something and you're trying to realize a dream it's like like i would like my imagined thing to become true and sometimes that's delusion but sometimes (laughs) um it's actually something that is like a lot more friendly than you know you must do this thing or else it's like no man i'm just having a dream that i would like to do this thing not like a conquering thing and I thought that that was uh, that was really key. And that's our show. As always, Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production. And to stay in touch with us, you can follow Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. This episode was scored in part using selections from Brian Dickens' catalog. So if you like what you hear, please go show him some support. 
We'll be back in two weeks to talk about what it means to be stuck in a rut and what it might take to get out of it. Until then.